0: The title of this episode is I am enough. 2 years ago I sat down with Marissa Peer and had a conversation. There was lots going on in the world at the time and yet the conversation is one we could probably listen to 15 years in the future and still find profound impact by it. Um, I did a summit at the time and she was on the summit and some of the things that she said just gave me goosebumps and really rang true. And I think this is an important conversation to be having at this time and one that I wanted to share with all of you because it's so impactful and powerful. And we have to look at how we look at ourselves, how we see ourselves moving through the world, the things that have influenced us and affected us. And it's really a time of introspection and the opportunity is healing and freedom within ourselves. So whether you were part of the summit in 2020 and heard this, I would encourage you to listen again. We always hear things from a different vantage point. And it'll be interesting to see if you heard this two years ago, what rings true for you today. And if you haven't heard it, um, you're in for a big treat. If you don't know Marissa Pierre, she's the creator of a multi-award winning rapid transformational therapy. And she's trained practitioners all around the world. She's the founder of IamENough.com. She's an international best-selling author, motivational speaker, personal development expert, and leading celebrity therapist. So with no further ado, help me welcome Marissa Pierre to the show. Marissa, welcome. I'm so happy to have you as part of the event. I love your work and we're going to talk about rapid transformational therapy in a little bit, but before we get to that, I just want to take people back for those that haven't met you yet, that haven't seen your incredible work. What was it that called you to becoming a therapist, to becoming interested in basically how our mind works and how we can improve our lives?
1: I guess you know, everybody wants to change the world, but changing the world is a massive ask. And I realized that if you want to change the world, the fastest way to change the world is to change people just one soul at a time. And it's actually very easy to change people. I think I saw so many broken people, so many unhappy people who'd sort of bought into this idea that therapy is long and arduous and expensive and time consuming. And I was slightly puzzled because I remember when I looking at this, you go, there's no other healthcare in the world that says, bring your pain every week and let's talk about it. No dentist says, come in and we'll discuss your impacted tooth. or the, They go, no, we've got to get it out because of the infection. No cardiologist says, turn up and we'll talk about your heart problems. They have an understanding. Our job is to fix it as fast as possible and make sure it doesn't come back. And so I found therapy a little strange in that the messages come every week. And of course, one of the most important things is to build up trust with your therapist. And when you build up the trust, you can start to heal. But if I went to the emergency room in pain, I don't need to build up trust with the ER doctor. I just need him to make me better. If I go to an emergency dentist because I've broken my tooth, I don't need to build up trust with a dentist. I just need him to remove my pain. So I wanted to create a model that was somewhat similar. Come with your pain and let's get rid of it as fast as we can and permanently. And my clients were without question my best teachers because they would say, you know, when you said this, did that, oh my God, that was a game changer. So I started to collate all the things that really worked and create my own system. And I called it rapid transformation because it's rapid
0: so wonderful, we are speaking the same language, this concept of needing it to take forever and this concept of never finally getting there. Like I never really understood that intrinsically, like this idea that we're gonna keep talking about the same thing five years later and going in circles about it, which is why when I was reading your books and reading through your work, I just felt like, yes, this is this is the next level of understanding how we can actually heal and that healing doesn't need to take this protracted amount of time. And tell me, like, you have helped people with physical ailments, with emotional pain, all all different areas of life, relationship, business. Is there a connection point? Is this all interconnected?
1: It's all interconnected. In fact, I've spent my whole adult life studying human behavior, and I'm very lucky that I've worked with everyone from someone who's got their own daycare or bakery to someone who's a billionaire and head of a all kinds of companies. And I realized that all of my clients have the same problems. And the number one problem is they just don't feel enough. They don't feel good enough, smart enough, interesting enough. And of course we can look at someone like Keith Ledger, uh, Whitney Houston, Kate Spade. uh, So many people think, but wow, you had made it. You had fame. Rich, as we can look at Britney Spears and think, well, what is going on there? Isn't that every girl's dream? You're a rockstar and everyone admires you, but the problem is if you don't feel enough, you can fool the whole world, but you really can't fool yourself. And so again, the way to fast track therapy is is when people come into me, I I don't treat the presenting problem. Here I am, I'm a kleptomaniac, I'm a compulsive binger, I have self-destructive tendencies, I sabotage, uh, I pull out my eyelashes, I pick my skin, I could treat that, but I always treat what lies beneath. And what lies beneath is almost always the same. I discovered there's only three things wrong with every patient I've ever seen in 33 years. And in fact, I believe that you, me, everyone listening, there's only three things wrong with you. The first is you just don't think you're enough. The good news is it's very easy to fix because no baby says, don't look at me. I got milk spots, a leaking diaper, and these like triple knees. A baby, when the first thing that happens when you're born is people look at you and no baby turns away and goes, I'm not worthy. So the good news is you were born certain you're enough and you haven't lost it, you've buried it and you can reactivate it and re-manifest it. And that's the bulk of my work. And we created the I'm Enough movement, which is having a profound effect on people all over the world. The second thing wrong with people is interesting. It's this feeling of I'm different, so I can't connect. And being different is the bane of your life because here's the truth, we're tribal people. We connect by being the same. When we lived in tribes, we looked the same. And then we look at images and magazines and think, oh, I don't look like that, so I'm not enough. And I tell all my clients, look, here's the truth. Your greatest fear is being different. You know that's everyone's greatest fear? And the fact that you have that fear means you're the same as everyone. And everyone is the same as you because we come on the planet with only two driving needs, find connection, avoid rejection. That's how you make it. And when you feel different, It's very hard to find connection. Who's going to love me? I've got three kids and cellulite. Who's going to want me? I don't have a lot of money. Who's going to want me? I didn't go to college. I'm not tall. I don't have breasts up here. No, you're the same. We're all the same. We all have the same fears. It's so life-changing. And the third thing wrong with clients, which is less, but very amazing is this belief that what well, I want something Is not available. I want love, but my dad left when I was one. I'm not lovable. I I want happiness, but I've got the depression gene. I want to stop drinking. I've got the alcoholic gene. I want success, but I'm scared of being rejected. So I can't pursue it. And you know, we can look at Princess Diana, Michael Jackson too, such interesting examples of someone who wanted love, found it, but had this belief that it's not really available because I'm not enough. And so they're often interlinked. And when I began teaching my method, we've now taught, I think 7,000 therapists all over the world. What makes RTT is amazing. If someone comes in and says, you know, I bite my nails, I smoke, I'm an alcoholic. We treat what lies beneath. We always look for, is this I'm not enough? Is that I'm different? I can't connect or I want it, but it's not available. And we treat that along with the presenting issue. And that's why we get extraordinary life-changing results because it's a model that really, really works because it's based on real studies of real clients that, and most of my clients, we know I've been in therapy for 10 years. I've had this issue for, if only I had known what it was really all about, I could have been free years ago.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Because if we're trying to just fix the symptom of, and we're never really getting to the reason, correct?
1: Yeah, because you know I used to specialize in eating disorders. I still do that a lot and people come in and go, I can't leave food. Um, I, I, I don't know what full is. I, I know when I'm unhappy that one tub of Ben and Jerry's won't help, but I'm eating five tubs and then a packet of potato chips. What this is crazy. But you see that's a symptom in binging. But when you find out what's underneath, and it's very often, not always, but almost always the case that people who are overweight have been lusted after in their childhood, maybe not abused, but had a stepfather looked at their body funny, or a grandfather that just couldn't help grabbing their butt when they had a hug. And they think a thought, I don't want anyone to look at my body like that. And your mind is the genie and your wishes it's come out and when we say i i don't want to be looked at like that one of my clients was telling me that her father used to hit her mother and she would get in front of her and he would just push her to one side like she was made of paper and she always thought if i was big i could fight back i could protect my mom and of course she became enormously big because it was a wish a decision the mind doesn't go hang on a minute is this wish logical Is it useful? Is it helpful? Is it positive? It just goes, okay, that's what you want. When you say things like, you know, this commute is killing me, this, my boss is, I'm dying under the pressure of my paperwork, your mind goes, oh, you don't want to go to that place called job. Why don't I give you a lovely ulcer, chronic migraines, and now the genie has listened to your wish and has come up with something. And the solution, which is very simple, is dialogue with yourself better. Your mind's job is to do what it thinks you want in your job, which is really quite simple, is to give your mind better instruction. So if you came in and said, hey, I want more money, here's $5. I want love. Well, what kind of love? Do you want wild sex for an hour? Do you want a fling with a complete crazy person for a week? Or do you want real, enduring love? And actually I learned this because for a while I specialize in infertility, having been told that I could never, never have children, which turned out to be completely not true. Was I want to be pregnant. I'm like, but if I look at your notes, you've been pregnant six times. Don't you think what you want is to carry to full term a healthy, bouncing, robust, perfect baby? Because if you keep wanting to be pregnant, you can be pregnant, but that's no guarantee of having a baby. And so a lot of our TT is looking at what the client thinks they want, showing them how to
0: dialogue differently so they get what they want. So let's, so the power of words and our thoughts, obviously what runs through our head, what, what do you see after seeing so many clients that we say to ourselves as, as a human species, right? The things that we say to ourselves and the words that we use that are impacting our life maybe in a negative way or not the desired way.
1: Yeah, so what happens a lot is we, before the age of five, there is no logic at all, only feeling. And many of my clients come in as very smart adults, but really a, a damaged child is in the room And you see, when a child's needs aren't met, and a child's needs are very simple, a child needs to feel safe, they need to feel significant, they need to feel loved, they need to feel worthy, that's pretty much it. But if those needs aren't met, they start to think, oh, my needs can't be met. And then they go through life believing, I need love, but you're going to leave me. I need to feel worthy, but I, I know I'm not because... And so we we form these beliefs very early on. I'll die if you leave me. I'll give you a very simple example. I worked with a guy who was going to die of obesity. He was so overweight and he told me his story. It was very simple, really. He was born prematurely. Parents took him back from hospital and with strict instructions, he must gain weight. The minute he starts to lose weight, you've got to go in an incubator. So he can't bring up the milk. You've got to feed him, weigh and feed him, weigh him. And every time he wouldn't feed or whatever, the mother would cry, he's saying, oh my God, he's going to die, he's going to die. And the father would get super stressed and they'd weigh him, they had him on videos. And for a few weeks, it was this whole hysterical mother, anxious father. And of course the baby picks up anxiety and then he started to take in food and they started to go, oh, he's such a good eater. Oh. He's a little jumbo jet. Look how big he's getting, and of course, his mind, which was forming all the time, formed a very interesting belief: not eating is dangerous and it upsets people, but eating is wonderful. And sometimes you just have to point out in hypnosis that all makes perfect sense when you're five. You now weigh three hundred pounds, and the thing that's going to kill you is not eating. It's eating the way you. Eat and you have to recognize that your wiring belongs to a premature baby. It doesn't belong to a very smart, intelligent man. And so often, things happen that make perfect sense. I had a client who had hypersensitivity to sunlight, even light that wasn't sunny, and she couldn't go out. She was condemned to stay indoors. She could go out at night, covered head to foot, but that's no life. And she was describing a scene, because I asked her when this happened. It happened when she was 11. At 11, she was getting very badly bullied. And when she asked her mum, "Mum, can I stay home? The mother said, don't be ridiculous. Of course you can't stay home. And I asked her what she thought. she said, I just want to stay in the house forever and never go out. For a child being bullied, staying at home, watching TV is very, very seductive. And so that was fascinating. She made she, she made a decision. I want to stay home and never leave. And the genie said, you leave that with me. Now you burn if you go outside. So guess what? You can stay home and never leave. So she got what she asked for, but that isn't what she wanted. And 30 years later, it's still going on. The mother's not there. She's not being bullied. There's no reason for her to stay and except the mind has a belief. You want this. And if you haven't got what you want, your mind believes you want it. And if you've got a lot of what you don't want, your mind also believes you want this, it's useful, it's beneficial. And my job is to unpick that. It's like unraveling a ball of wool and sorting it all out and putting people back together again with a better belief because you are what you believe. You know, I tell all my clients, you make your beliefs, And then your beliefs turn around and make you, and then the world starts to match whatever you've chosen to believe. And since you make your beliefs, why not make your beliefs amazing? No one's going to love me. My dad left. I'm deeply, magnetically, powerfully lovable. I'm attracting the best love. It's here forever. I'm so lovable. You can choose. And I tell everyone, look, You can choose to say whatever you want to yourself. You want to be super negative. That's your choice. But what you can't choose is what it does to your body, to your soul. And if you could see what negative thoughts did to you, you'd never think another one in your life ever.
0: Yeah, it's so true and so powerful. And what is the subconscious mind's role in all of these beliefs?
1: What a great question. See, people think your mind's role is to keep you happy. No, your mind's role is to keep you alive at all costs. So when you say, if one more person comes along and rips out my heart, if I get ghosted one more time, if one more person doesn't meet me or dumps me, it would kill me. I would die if I got rejected. Again, your mind goes, that's it. No more relationships for you. If you say, you know, giving birth, oh my God, it was just hell, I nearly died. I could never go through that again. Or you say jokingly, imagine having two and your partner because I'd, I'd run away. That would, it would kill me to have two. That would be a nightmare. Your mind is now very clear. You don't want a second baby or you don't want love. And so secondary infertility, and indeed unexplained infertility, come from your belief. I mean, the very very heading, you have unexplained infertility. That means your ovaries are great, your fallopian tubes are clear, your husband has crack, military-grade sperm, and so much of it, but the mind's made a decision, no. And the mind can create every symptom, every illness, the the symptoms of it, but it can also remove them. And so, you know, I I work a lot with doctors who tell me that 70% of clients going to ER, which is an extraordinary high number, have real physical symptoms, but they're caused by the mind. They have real irritable bowel, real migraines, real dermatitis, real asthma, eczema. But what's causing it is not the body; it's the mind, and so you then can't fix that symptom with drugs or creams. You have to go back to the mind and go, "When did this happen? What was going on?" You know, I worked with a little boy who had chronic eczema all over his body, and obviously you speak to children differently. But when I said to him, "You know, darling, if the eczema was your friend," he hadn't even been. He said, "Well." Every night, I stand like that, and mommy puts wet cream and bandages on my body, and she doesn't put any cream on that baby. And there was his genie. He watched mommy massaging the newborn, and said, mommy, can I have that? No, you're a big boy. "Mummy, I want that. No, just for the baby. Only babies have baby massage." And he thought, I want mommy to put cream on me. Now he's got eczema. She's spending hours putting cream on him. And even more fascinating, I worked with a 17-year-old girl who suddenly became diabetic. And it's quite unusual to develop diabetes at 17 out of nowhere. And then she told me that when she was 11, her mother developed breast cancer. And for six years, she watched her mother get iller and iller. And then she watched her mother die and she was all alone. And her father's family who she didn't see were diabetic. And when she developed diabetes, they're like, Oh, you're like us, and suddenly they took her in into their world and were very connected because in finding diabetes, she avoided rejection and got connection, which was said something amazing. I had I was training at Imperial Medical School, I had so many doctors in there, and they said, you know, we never saw this how a child watching a parent get sick says illness comes to get you and there's nothing you can do about it. And so many illnesses are autoimmune illnesses, like Crohn's or uh, so many, the names are all escaping me now, but many, many illnesses are autoimmune where the body creates an illness in response to a belief, which is you can't stop getting sick, illness comes to get you, or even worse, illness has a benefit. And i found that with all my clients, if as a child you can't get love, then being sick is the next best thing because you get attention, you get care, you get people worried. Suddenly your mom's driving all over town trying to get gluten free food, getting special cream, worrying about your allergies, taking you to specials. And the kid thinks, well, wow, I didn't think you love me, but I must matter because you're spending so much time trying to make me better. And once you form that belief, being ill is the next best thing to being loved, people just don't give that up. They become adult hypochondriacs. And our TT again unravels that
0: and removes it. Fascinating. I was gonna ask you about hypochondria. Like, if there's is hypochondria, you're not actually like physically sick? I mean, I don't, I'm not sure of the exact definition, but like, let's say, does a hypochondriac actually manifest the illnesses that they think they might have? Or do they then go to get checked, let's say, and realize like there's nothing wrong, but they're feeling like something's wrong?
1: No, they would always believe something's wrong. So I do this thing called foreplay in in our RTT training. And I've, you know, after 33 years of being a therapist, you know, you learn a lot. And I learned from studying all my clients and looking at their notes and collating case histories that when a child's need to feel loved and significant is not met, and very often it's not, even well meaning parents are always at work, they're always busy. You know, I was, the other day I was walking down my canal, I saw this woman pushing her pushchair on her phone the whole time and the baby's going to get her attention and she was on the phone and the baby's feeling is, oh, that's more important than me. So if as a child, your needs aren't met, there's only four things you can do. The first is to get sick, because sick children get attention, they get worry, they get care. And once they realize, oh, that's the next best thing, they they don't know how to give that up. The second role we play in order to feel significant is to be the brilliant kid, the one who's the straight-A student, the perfect um, athlete, because they think, well, you might not love me, but you're proud of me. You're talking about me, you're turning up, you're telling everyone about me. And again, the child that learns, okay, if I want love, I better be a really, I better be a straight-A student, also does not know how to give that up. The third role, which most therapists fit into, is the care, we look out in the world and go, well, was well, not very fair. I need love and care. Oh, I'll become a nurse, a therapist, a healer, a carer, and I'll give what I so want to get back, except they have terrible burnout because they often give and don't receive. And the fourth role is, is usually the fourth child. Someone says two kids, but mum, is the brilliant one and dad is the sick one or vice versa. So when the first three roles are gone, the last role is, I'll be the difficult. But the problem is we make this part our own until we don't understand that it's not us and we're not it. So your question, do the hypochondriacs know they're not ill? Oh no, they're convinced they are. And when you fix one problem, they create another one because the mind has a belief, being sick benefits you. My my job as your mind is to keep you alive. And as long as you're sick and feel worthy,
0: you'll stay alive. Yeah, really, really interesting. I know, you know, this past year has been a a shakeup for a lot of people in many different ways. It's caused people to consider change maybe when they haven't, to need to change, to be forced to look at themselves. You know, what's your perspective on how we move through changes. Meaning like if someone, you know, a lot of people that I talked to have reevaluated life this year. We kind of got put on a timeout for a little bit. It made people stop and think and be and realize what they, what's working, what's not working in their life. How do we move through these times of big change? Well, here's the thing about change. You know, from the day you're born,
1: you're changing. The world is changing faster than we ever imagined. And the only way you can deal with change is to make the direction of change in your life change for the better. The minute you make the direction of change a positive change, you don't fear change. So many people are terrified of change, but actually a world without change is pretty scary. If you went to someone like Yemen, and so life hasn't progressed. Women still are subservient. They still wear those black clothes. They cook the same food every day. Their daughter's life is the same as a grandmother's life. You have to make a decision. Okay, I can make this direction of change in my life, change for the better. Because events don't affect you, but the way you feel about an event affects you. And here's COVID proving that, so his COVID And a lot of people are saying it's just awful, it's terrible, I'm trapped at home, everything is awful, I I can't go out and I feel awful. And the other half is saying, you know, actually I'm loving it, I'm dreading it ending, I'm at home with my kids, I've learned what matters, which is my connection with people. I had an idea 20 years ago to create a virtual game for children because some people have a good immune system And your immune system responds to your thinking. Unhappy people, stressed people, of course, get sick more. But I would never have sat down and worked out that game if I hadn't been in that first month where you couldn't go anywhere. And it was so weird. It's like I don't even know what to do with myself because I'm so active and outdoors. But I actually am really pleased that I created it.
0: What a beautiful contribution. And to teach kids when they're young, right? The power of their mind and their thoughts. I mean, I always go back and think, if we knew this, if we were taught this in school, right? If we were taught about who we were at a young age and not have to go through decades of our life and end up in all of this pain, what a gift.
1: Yeah, if only we could be taught a great truth, every thought you think and every word you speak is a blueprint that your mind, body, and psyche must start to work to make real. So when you say, oh, I just, that chicken, I didn't realize it's not cooked, I'm now going to get food poisoning. Oh, I went out without um, my coat, I'm going to get sick. Someone on the train sneezed, I'm going to get ill. It's that time of year where I always get my sinus headaches. Oh, it's my period, now I'm going to get the cramping the way you feel about everything is down to the words you use and the pictures you describe. And if we could just remember whatever I say is a blueprint, we could correct it. It doesn't mean you'll never say I was laying on the sofa and I heard myself saying, I'm chronically tired. And I thought, I'm not chronically tired. I'm dehydrated and I am tired, but I'm not chronically tired. Why did I even say that? And I corrected it. was, I've got a chronic migraine, this headache is... I'm dying of stress. I could eat a horse. I'm out of control. I'm just like a train wreck. I eat nonstop all weekend and I'm the size of a barn. Well, clearly that's not true. And we have to correct that. Yeah, I am eating a lot, but I'm not the size of a barn. I don't eat all weekend. And you have to stop lying to yourself. And if you want to lie to yourself, well, tell yourself a better lie. Who's going to love me? Who couldn't love me? I'm warm and magnetic. I'm an out of control compulsive eater. I eat selectively. My body uses every calorie I eat and makes my body perfect. I can't remember anything. I have a phenomenal, reliable, foolproof memory. So you can, again, you can choose And all you have to do, it sounds so simple, because it is, is choose better language. Your words form your reality. If you don't like your reality, change the way you talk about it, and then your reality will become quite, quite different.
0: Yes, and you say, you talk about familiar, just because something's familiar doesn't mean it's great. Many times we have familiar thoughts that go over and over in our head. And people will say, gosh, I just can't stop thinking about this. It's a pattern, right? They've done it for so long. How do we make the familiar unfamiliar?
1: Well, you know, you are correct. It's an absolute fact that you are hardwired and super coded to go back to what is familiar and to avoid what is unfamiliar, which is why 70% of lottery winners will be dead broke in three years. Because if having money is not familiar and you get it, you just spend it. If having love is not familiar and you get it, you'll probably mess it up. If having praise is not familiar, someone says, hey, I love your dress, and you go, oh, it's six years old, it was second it's got a hole in it. I love, and that talk you gave, oh, I, I forgot the best bit, didn't you know? No. I love what you wrote, oh, it was awful. So. It's so interesting that people who have never had praise not only reject it because it's unfamiliar, they add in what's familiar, criticism. And if you want to boost your self-esteem, make praise familiar. So yes, we are wired to return to what's familiar. That's a fact, but here's another fact. You can make anything you like familiar. Try taking the sugar and cream out of your coffee. It doesn't taste good, but after six weeks, you think, oh, I like it like this. drink it like that. That's awful. You know, try shoving a lens in your eye. The first time I had to do that, I got my—I put it in my eye, mind. What the, what the hell are you doing? And I pulled back and then I got it in my eye. My eye went, oh, I don't like this. This is some foreign thing in my eye. My eyes were watering. But if you continue with lenses and you continue doing that, it becomes so familiar you can do it without a mirror And then the other unfamiliar thing, get your fingers and squeeze right onto your eyeball with nails. That also feels seriously weird because what's familiar is pull away from someone putting something in your eye. But if you keep doing it, it becomes super familiar. So, lenses are a great lesson in what you can make familiar. You know, if you're going to have a tattoo, You'll have needles put in. One of my clients had a whole rose garden tattooed on her back. It took two years, she turned up every week. Everyone went, oh, is it going to hurt? Oh, that needle is going to she said, I-, I can't wait to see it. So you, some people even make pain familiar. They like it and other people, of course, dislike it. We look at some people living on the street or drinking meth and think, well, why? Because they've made it so familiar. You know, if you live in chaos and you have, I mean, one of my friends has got three great says, it doesn't smell in my house, does it? It's like, well, it really does, but <laughs> doesn't see it. So, so many things, you know, someone who is, you know, I have a daughter who's an artist. I'm very tidy and organized. She's untidy, but she doesn't see mess. She doesn't, she just sees creativity. And so making that mess and making, if she went in the army, she'd have to be super tidy. They would wire that in and it would become familiar. If you go to the gym every day, it becomes so familiar. You start doing crunches when you're sitting in the chair. You start doing leg lifts when you're at the carousel at the airport because you can make anything familiar. And your job, and it's a great job, is make positive things familiar. While making negative things unfamiliar, make criticism unfamiliar and make praising yourself. Like that one thing alone, make praise familiar and criticism will change your entire life on a dime forever because what boosts your self esteem is praise and what withers it is criticism, but your own praise boosts you more and your own criticism deflates you more. Because if I said something mean to you, you think, oh, She's having a bad day. I wonder what's going on in her life. And if I praise you, you might think, what does she want? She wants something, she's being super nice. But when you do it yourself, your mind doesn't question it. It Just if you say it, it must be true. Whatever you say to mind, it goes, it must be true. Your mind does not care. And indeed it doesn't know if what you tell it is true or false, good or bad, helpful or not. And so you might as well tell it amazing things because they'll probably become true. I love the fact that when Meryl Streep went up for the part of King Kong that was given to Jessica Lang, the director said, Meryl, you know, you're not pretty. You won't make it. And she said, you know, that's one opinion in a sea of opinions. I think I'll find another opinion. So she decided not to let, she didn't go, oh, he doesn't like me. She decided not to let that in and not letting in the criticism of others will change your life, especially if you add in your own praise. And many people are told, you can't make it, you'll never make it. You know, you you just don't have what it takes. You're not tall enough, rich enough, thin enough. And yet we see people every day who've made it. There's a girl called Amy Mullins who's missing her lower legs, who's walked the catwalk for, um, a top modeling house. she's married to Rupert Friend who was um, Carrie's best friend in Homeland. So she's married to a massive actor, she's a model and she wouldn't go, yeah, I don't have lower limbs. There's a girl who models for Gap who's got Tiger all over her face, I've forgotten her name. In, in London, we have two models now that both have Down syndrome. And so the world is changing and it's no longer saying no. We used to have this, you've got to go to college to be wealthy, you've got to be beautiful to find love. And now we think, well, some of the most successful people didn't go to college, like Tony Robbins, Oprah Winfrey. And how come this person who's normal looking is married and blissfully happy? So you don't have to be perfect to succeed. And in fact, trying to be perfect will hold you back. I could say without even thinking about it, my unhappiest clients bar none are the ones who try to be perfect, they're also the loneliest. Because trying to be perfect, you've entered a race. And as you get to the finishing line, it moves and it moves and there is no finishing line. And instead of waiting, I'll find love when I'm perfect. I'll go for that job when I'm perfect. I'll have a baby when I'm ready. Well, that never happens. What you have to accept is the truth. We're all flawed people having flawed relationships with other flawed people. You think, wow, so I can have a beautiful flawed relationship and be happy, or I can try to be perfect and be miserable. Make the best of yourself, of course, but just accept that we're flawed and celebrate your flaws. Don't hide them.
0: Yes, it's so true. Actually having fun with the flaws, right? And it's so funny because I'm married and and some of the things I guess that you would call the quirks or the, you know, the flaws are some of the most endearing things. They're the connection points, right? They're the, the things you laugh about or the things you joke about or the things that make that person that person that you love so much.
1: I heard one of my friends telling me, he said, when I met my wife, he said she was walking in front of me. He said, and her thighs rubbing together. It was the sexiest <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life. He said, and I had to find, stop her and talk to her. He said, and I just that that thigh. And he said, I love when she wears stockings, the bit of flesh that hangs over the top. And and people say, I, you know, I love the little wobbly tummy. I, I When I had a cat, I picked them with a wonky eye and a gummy grin because. Our flaws actually make us endearing. We spend so long trying to get rid of them. And it's such a shame. And so many men say, you know, I love love handles. I love hips. I love flesh. And yeah, I'm with someone who's punishing their body trying to get rid of it when I really like it.
0: Yeah, it's so true. So tell us more about RTT. Is there a framework for that? Or how can you take us into this kind of overview of RTT?
1: So someone said to me recently, you are the Jamie Oliver of therapy. And I thought, you know what, that's true. Jamie Oliver would say, okay, go out and buy these eight ingredients and do exactly what I say with them. And you'll produce a dish very similar to the dish I produce if you follow the formula. So I realized that in training these 7,000 therapists, they need a formula because they always think, no, I can't be you. And RTT is not what I do, it's what I teach. And so we always teach our clients, look, when you when teach our therapists, when your client comes in, we use five eyes, the first thing you do is have an intake form. And you look at the intake form because you're now a detective. A detective gathers information, looks at it and works out what's gone on. And you see them in movies putting pictures up on a board and trying to work out what, what's happened. And so the first thing we do is you become a good detective. You gather information. You might ask the client, but if they knew they wouldn't be in your chair. And so we use regression to go back and find out when did this happen? That's the first I. Use the intake form and get information. The second I is now interpret that information. Okay. You can see the little girl who was bullied, didn't want to go out. And here you are today with this hypersensitive delight. How did one scene cause the other? So you do the interpretation with your client, not for them. And then you interrupt the belief. You must massively interrupt it. Well, that made sense. Any kid would have done what you did, but you're not that kid. You're acting now of a belief that's 40 years out of date. You know, I was with somebody who had chronic Crohn's disease because she'd run off with her friend's husband when she was 17 and we worked out she was punishing herself and the interpretation was very clear because she went back to those scenes. But the interruption was, you know, people don't, you've done this, you've had this for 25 years, you know you do less time for murder. I think you've suffered enough. That guy was such an idiot, you did her a favor. And of course he left her exactly the same. If you met an now, she would probably say thank you. And so she did contact her and she said, honestly, he was an ass. And I would say to my clients, look, you have a perfect ass. Nobody needs two. God gave you a perfect ass. You do not need to marry one and you don't need to date one. One perfect ass is enough for any woman for her entire life. And sometimes they like that little thing that makes them laugh. So you've done the intake, you've investigated, you put on your detective hat and investigate, then you now you've become a dentist, extracting all that toxic material. And the final eye is to be an installer, to be a coder. And as you take out the old belief, you must install a new one. And that's always recorded for the client to play for about three weeks because the mind learns by repetition. So you remove a belief, who's going to love me? I'm not lovable. I'm not enough. Money slips through my fingers. I I can't deal with confrontation. I'm no good at arguments. I can't express myself. I can't say what I want. I can't have an orgasm. You take all of that away and you put in the opposite, you are super orgasmic. In fact, you have full body orgasms. There are electric shocks all over your body or, you, you're brilliant at confrontation. You, you express yourself so eloquently because you see what the mind says yes to, the body will say yes to. And the mind listens, that goes, yeah, sure. And many of us, you know, it's amazing. I'd never had an or listen to that recording. I had four in one night. Uh, I, I was doing a talk in Ibiza, and the next hour was stopped on the beach, it must be 15, and was saying, oh my God. Oh my God, last night, I've been married 25 years, but last night it was like fireworks. It was like the 4th of July, but you must get the mind to say yes. So it was, I can't get pregnant. And of course you can. You have the recipe for pregnancy. You have ovaries, you have eggs, you have sperm. You can get pregnant tomorrow, um, but you've got you to gotta get your mind to say, yes, I've got grade A eggs. My husband's got crack military style sperm and so much of it, and they collide and make a grade A embryo, it sticks into my womb like Velcro, grows perfectly. And if the mind keeps going, yes, the body will say yes, but many people who go, they go, oh, I'm really scared. I'm not going to buy anything for them. I'm not going to announce it because I'm scared I'm losing it. They go to the bathroom looking for signs of blood. Every little thing, they're thinking, oh, I'm not going to get excited because if I lose it, I'd be disappointed." And i like, yeah, but if you lose the baby, you can't make the disappointment less. You got to tell that baby to stick like Velcro, to plan it, to believe in it, to send the scan to everybody, because at least you can say, I did everything. And so it's really reversing the old belief, but massively installing in a new one. You know, I, if I look at food, I get fat. Replace that with I have a super powerful, extraordinary metal. Whatever I eat, it burns it off. Whatever I eat, my brilliant body burns it off. I actually like eating healthy food selectively. I prefer that, I do that, it's who I am. But occasionally my body will just go, Well, it doesn't matter what you eat, I just burn it all off. No one's gonna love me because I've got um breast, I want breast. In fact, I have two different clients, one owned a nightclub in London, could have had any woman he liked, the only girl he ever loved had a missing breast, she had breast cancer, he was devoted to her. My second client was a photographer of nude women, and he too only ever loved one woman who had a mastectomy. And I thought that was so amazing. He took photographs of breasts every day, went home to this girl who he worshiped. And she only had one breast because they both had to say, I'm I'm not my breast, you know. I'm so it's it's the belief who could love me. Well, who couldn't love you? If you believe you're lovable, you give the whole world permission to love you. And women do such a bad job of themselves. Nobody's gonna love me. I'm not thin. And now I've spent ages getting thin, but now I'm too old, I'm like 45, or I'm not tall enough, and it's just the it, the bar to be lovable is raised so high it's impossible. Now I've got all of that. Now I need to design a designer vagina. And it's like, oh my God, how many body parts do you need to hate to find love? Your grandmother lifted up her 90 and had no idea what a designer vagina was, probably had better sex than you. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be anything else than a warm, loving person. And nobody cares about that. I mean, no one's down there with a flashlight. If you feel that bad, Use candlelight, but what people want is a warm, enthusiastic partner. They don't care about design. And why we would snip off the most sensitive parts of our body that give us so much pleasure to look like a baby is extraordinary, but that's what the media does. You know, we have the thigh gap challenge. You've got to get three fingers in between your thighs. We have the bikini bridge where your hip bones have got to stick out so much that. It forms a concave, don't. we have the A4 challenge where your whole body has got to fit inside an A4 piece of paper. I'm like, WTF, you know, why? Why can't you just say, hey, I'm me? And, you know, I often look at, if I look at Pierce Brosnan, his wife is not skinny. Charles left Diana for Camilla who was older than him and didn't look anything like Diana. And there are so many people who are wildly in love with their partners who are not beautiful and not stereotypical. And, and many of my clients who are models get left all the time because people want warmth and passion and, and kindness. And you know having someone who looks gorgeous is really, that's not enough to keep anyone. You have to think, look at all the relationships you admire and you'll see that, oh, right, I thought Kim Kardashian was this role model, but doesn't look like her relationship's working out too well. But here's someone down the road that's been with their same partner for 35 years who worship them and they don't look like Kim Kardashian, but they're happy. So we're doing the wrong thing. We're looking for perfection. It doesn't exist. We should say, hey, I might not be perfect, but I am so lovable. And now I can accept that I can find someone who sees I'm lovable, I see they're lovable, because I'm enough. And so when I founded the I am enough movement, which is massive now, is to make people believe you're enough. Because behind all these issues, alcoholism, addiction, uh, screen time addiction, shopping addiction, medication addiction, was the belief I'm not enough, so I need more when you know you are enough you can have more but you're not pursuing more you're not always looking for the bigger better deal because you think hey I'm enough
0: yeah that's so important and you have a free online masterclass that's at iamenough.com and we're going to link to that below oh yes and um, so it's about how people having confidence to have what they deserve can you tell us a little bit about the masterclass?
1: Yeah, I can, I created that because I discovered that for my clients who had everything, you know, a boat in Hawaii, an amazing body, millions in the bank, if they don't feel enough, you actually haven't got anything. You have to believe you're enough. You have to have confidence. You have to have self-esteem. And if you have that, you have everything. And so I created a masterclass to to fire that in, wire it in. And it, it will change you as an audience member. All you have to do is turn up, listen, and it shows you how to grow your self-esteem, grow your confidence, wire in I'm enoughness, grow your own praise muscle. Because if you have that foundation, you are set for life. You find it easier to be accepted. You're totally less concerned about being rejected because the truth is the only person who can reject you really is you. Someone can say mean things, you don't have to let it in. So this masterclass is completely free. We don't ask for your credit card number. You just turn up and like I started at the beginning about changing the world, it's it's how I change people. I love what I do and I do what I love and I feel very blessed. You know, my father was an eminent principal and I love the fact that I'm a different kind of teacher too and teaching people to be enough is, is what I was meant to do. And I, I love it.
0: Oh, it's beautiful. So everybody go sign up for that. I mean, I don't think there's one person watching this that can't get those tools and benefit from feeling more confident and calling in what, what you deserve. And one final question, obviously this is the Infinite You event. What does the word infinite mean to you?
1: I would say it means infinite possibilities. You know, the world is your oyster. The, the days where you had to come from wealth, go to college to make it a long gone. And if you believe, you know, impossible means I'm possible. So infinite would mean, you know, you can have whatever you want, whenever you want. Infinite means, you know what, you can have it all, all the time. I mean, I have a deeply loving relationship, an incredible career, an amazing daughter, health, wealth, everything. But I I didn't start off like that. I thought I was the most hideous, ugly kid. And I thought I was stupid too. And now I, I can hardly recognize myself because I couldn't imagine the life I have now. And the life I have now, The thing that changed my life was changing my thinking. It was nothing more than that. I went from thinking I'm an idiot and who's going to want me and my dad's the principal, I feel like a freak, to, oh, I'm so lovable, I can have whatever I want. And, you know, it's interesting being a therapist and taking on the medical profession and taking on people that said, well, you know, the words rapid and therapy should never be in the same sentence, but infinite is like, well, I have a different opinion and I'm not going to hide away from that. And infinite means having everything you want all the time. Abundance means a lot of everything. So infinite is infinite abundance. You can have health, wealth, love, joy all the time for the rest of your life if you just know how. And the masterclasses I make are to show you how.
0: Wonderful. Thank you, Marissa. This is beautiful. I'm so glad you went up against everybody and put Rapid and Therapy and Transformation together. Yeah. It was wonderful having you.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. And I'm so glad the audience is listening. And honestly, you can have whatever you want. You just got to believe it.
0: Hey, lovely, this is Shauna Lee. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Soul Frequency Show. If you got even one piece of valuable information, head over to Apple Podcasts and share a review with your takeaways. And follow us because we got lots more goodness to come. We are spreading the love far and wide. And you know where to find me over at IG at The Soul Frequency. Until the next time, love, here's to positive vibes, and powerful awakenings.